You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Kootenai Community Church Adult Sunday School. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. <laughs> Shall we open in prayer? Father, it is a privilege to come and look into your great, wonderful, magnificent word this morning. You have, you had no obligation to give us this, but it is a gift beyond compare. It is sufficient and perfect to bring salvation by the grace of the Holy Spirit to those whom you have elected to be your church. And so this morning, as we looked into your word, we pray that you would illuminate us and help us, Father, to deal with those things that you would have us change and to correct, be rebuked, be instructed as you you deem through your word, which is the only way of correcting and instructing and perfecting your saints by the grace of the Holy Spirit. We look forward to that this morning by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and um, from about verse... Let's see how far we think we're going to make it today. <laughs> Let's read chapter 11, 1 through um, 15. 2 Corinthians 11, 1. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous of you with a godly jealous jealousy for I betrothed you to one husband that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin but I am afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ for if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted you bear this beautifully For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Or or did I commit a sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. So last week, we left off with Paul robbing churches. Now, if I just stopped right there with that soundbite, people would think a false gospel was coming from this church. But you remember, he actually would not take from the churches that he was planting supply in order to to meet his needs. He would use the supply from other churches that were already planted for a number of reasons, um, among them being that he would not he would be independent of that church and be free to be God's minister of righteousness and of the word of God in and among the believers, especially in Corinth that he was talking about when he did it then. And so he chose to use the, the money that had come from other churches, even meeting with when he met with Titus in Macedonia um, among the things that were done. There was a transfer of funds so that he could remain independent when he was preaching in, in Corinth, when he was working in, in the Corinthian area and in, in Achaia. So he says, um, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And then in verse nine, and when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the church, when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. So while Paul was in Corinth, he refused to be what he called a burden to the church um, as he brought the gospel when the brethren came from Macedonia to meet with him. He, re- he received support from them, which added, by the way, the interesting word supplied here. It's a word that means to fill up by adding to. So in other words, what the brethren brought in Macedonia, the Macedonian brethren brought or what he met with them when he met with them, it wasn't the entire amount. He was providing some of his own sustenance by making leather and making tents. Paul was speaking, um, he, he, was, he was reminding the Corinthians of this, that I was, when I was present with you, I was not a burden to anyone. And that word burden is a pressing down, something that would press down on your chest and stop your breathing. That's what the word kind of connotes. The word for supplied is a compound verb, which means to be provided in addition to, as you can see here. It's, uh, so he, it's to fill up by adding to something that's already there. The idea, so, so the, the press down upon heavenly burden that Paul was talking about, he refused to be that way, and he allowed the supply to come in from Macedonia. Um, remember, however, back in chapter 10, he does in the, intimate that he, the Corinthians could participate in sending him further in uh, verses 15 and 16, 16 in chapter 10, 2 Corinthians 10, 15 and 16. He says, not boasting beyond our measure, that is in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. There's something that happens in the heart of a believer as God works in their lives. They want to send the gospel on everywhere, especially when you're a new believer. Man, you charge the gates of hell with a squirt gun. And probably win. But as you get older and more wise, that fervor dies down, sometimes unfortunately, I would say. But nevertheless, here Paul is reminding the Corinthians or asking the Corinthians, as your faith grows, I will look to you to send the gospel beyond you, to send the gospel into the greater reaches of the world. 
So once salvation occurs and the Holy Spirit begins his work in transforming the inner man, the desire to send the gospel further would be a reality in the hearts of those in Corinth. And Paul knew that. But while he was there, while he was bringing them the gospel, not only would he not be a burden, but he would, he said, maintain that status of not being a burden. He would continue to work. Unlike the false apostles who would not lower themselves to manual labor, Paul worked with his hands as a tent maker or a leather worker. It is thought that maybe during his time in Corinth, business was reduced and he found himself in very difficult straits. When Silas and Timothy arrived, bringing the Macedonian church's gifts, his situation was alleviated. And so it is the case today even. When a church decides to send out uh, men who will plant a new church in a new region or a new area or a new location, I should say, they take upon themselves, that church takes upon themselves the support of those that are planting the church so that the new believers and the new attenders, if there are already believers in the new location, will not be burdened, that the church can get started. Once the ministry takes root, takes hold, and enough families attend the new church to support the teaching ministry of an on-site pastor elder, the new church will take up the cost of supporting the teaching ministry. Mark, uh, excuse me, Matthew, 1 Corinthians 9, 14. So the Lord, so also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So there it is. Was Paul, would Paul have been appropriate in receiving gifts from Corinth while he was there and letting them supply his need? Would he have been appropriate in doing that? Of course he would. It was his choice not to. Mark, or excuse me, Matthew 10, 9, 9 through 11. Jesus said to his, his disciples as they went out, do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. Look for your support in the area where you are ministering. Jesus said, Luke chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, whatever house you enter, first say, peace, be in this house, be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. So I, there's one other little cool little principle in there I take, take it. As I, as I was reading this, it's kind of trivia principle. And I wouldn't go building those secret doctrines on it. But don't be picky with what they serve you. If it's eggplant, eat it. <laughs> set, or eat what they set before you. It does a number of things. It blesses the hearts of those who are taking care of you when you, when you receive their sustenance, their, their provision. So, so the, the laborer, which Paul was, is worthy of his wages. He could have imposed upon the Corinthians the burden of supporting him. He simply chose not to, and for good reason. And now as we look and we see this situation with the false apostles arising, we can see how the Holy Spirit is going to use that to great advantage. So any questions about verse 9? Comments? Verse 10, and as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Remember, He's using the word boasting in great measure as a poke at the false apostles who seemed to stop at no, they could, nothing they couldn't find to brag about. They could always brag about this or about the other. So he says his boasting will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Literally, this word, this verse is, the truth of Christ is in me. And thus Paul is a true man of God as a true man of God. 
would continue to bring the gospel to every region and every city that he could. Now, Calvin and some others that I was reading take this as an oath, and indeed, I suppose it could be, his policy of bringing the gospel free of charge into new areas, he says, would continue throughout all of Achaia. Apparently, based on this statement, it appears that, those false, that the false apostles may have had some influence not only in the church in Corinth, but also throughout the province of Achaia. Paul will not let that stop him. No matter where he meets resistance from them, he's not going to stop. He's going to continue to work. He's going to continue to bring the gospel to that region, and he's going to continue to rely on the supply of founded, established churches. Why? I love this. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. Remarkably, even though the Corinthians, by their acquiescence to false teaching, had cut Paul to the core by doing that, he did not let that mar his love for them. Brothers and sisters, that's what we've got to do when, when genuine believers offend us. There's a I had to count them. There's a seven-letter word that is the most important word in the English language. Anybody know what it is? Forgive. How many times? I'm just going to give you a number. I like numbers. And you can put this on your refrigerator. 20 billion. That ought to cover it, you think? At least for one person. That ought to cover it. The hyperbole that the Lord Jesus Christ used was 70 times 7. What he was doing is he was telling Peter, Every time it happens. Now, that doesn't mean you don't take proper response and steps if there's been a great offense that's caused harm. But we must forgive. We must forgive. It is the, it is the, it is the agent that the Holy Spirit uses to bind and maintain unity in the church because we are going to rub one another wrong. I know I rub people wrong. Many of them tell me. Some of them don't. And I want, I, when, I, when I do that, I want to go to them and ask for forgiveness. But even if we don't get that blessing of having them come to us, we must forgive. So Paul, said, Paul had forgiven the Corinthians, even though they were, putting, they were, they were eschewing his word, which was the, the word of God. Um, he did not refuse their aid because he did not love them, as they would assume, but rather the opposite. And he appeals to God, who knows all hearts, to set the record straight that he indeed loves those in Corinth. Often, often, and parents, you know this, it is the child that is the most difficult that seems to need the most love. <laughs> I was that child. And my mother translated love into two by six. There's math involved in all of that, yeah. What was that? With holes in it. Actually, I did have a teacher that used a paddle. I better not get too much into detail there. Um, The Corinthian church needed agape love. They needed agape love, and they needed it from Paul, and he freely gave it to them. As the truth of Christ is, why? Because I do not love you? No, God knows I do. And he appeals to God. They know better. But there apparently had been some who had accused him of not loving them. And... So let, it make, let us make certain that it is not our actions, our personal actions that have brought the accusation that we don't love someone. If we give them the word of God and God's word accuses their conscience and we do it properly, that is love. Letting someone continue in sin is not love. It's endangering them and, and those around them. So Paul loved them and he appeals to God knowing that he does. 
So then he says in verse 12, but what I am doing, in case you were wondering, am I going to stop? Is all of this, all of this browbeating and, and uh, calling my rhetorical skills into question and making fun of my size and my face and, and uh, whatever, whatever physical abnormality I had, is all of that going to stop me? He says, but what I am doing, I will continue to do. That's another thing that a believer needs to do. They have to have, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Staying power. Because the relentless attacks of the enemy will not stop. Not stop until you step into glory. They will not stop. I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. Let's break that down. And here we see a main reason why Paul is going to continue his policy of preaching the gospel free to the Corinthians and to other churches that he plants. Those who want to be taken as apostles and are not were greedy. And they required payment for what they did. Paul here shows that he is not cut from the same cloth, but rather the Holy Spirit has called him in this case to give freely to the Corinthians the gospel and all of its attendant blessings. These false apostles wanted to be seen as Paul's equal, or even by some of the attacks we've seen, as his superior. And they castigated him for this. By their standard, inadequate rhetorical skills and all of the other things, his his apparent um, physical abnormality, they, they tried to draw on that to, to work the Corinthians against him. He would give them no opportunity to do that. They're, they're left in a position of having to explain why they're taking full payment for doing what Paul did for free. The contrast could not be greater. Paul's selflessness compared with their selfishness, with their greed. Some commentators believe that the false apostles were preaching without charge as well. But this, this doesn't really line up with the evidence previously seen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul details the fact that he could have charged them for preaching the gospel, but he didn't as others did. And later in verse 20, he indicates that the false apostles were enslaving, devouring, taking advantage of, and exalting themselves to the Corinthians. This indicates uh, payment. Paul would never do that, and he wished to cut off all potential for them to brag about what they were doing. It was his desire that the Lord receive the glory, not even Paul, that the Lord receive the glory. Not an apostle at all, but especially not a false apostle. Any questions or comments? We're going to finish up with verse 13. We're going to talk quite a bit about false apostles. Okay. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, Deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, it's like Paul flipped a switch. For the next three verses, he flipped the switch. He turns off the irony and sarcasm, and he gets straight to the point. He labels these people as false apostles. No bandying words. Deceitful interlopers, hypocrites, wolves in sheep's clothing, even satanic. They wore a disguise, pretending to be Christ's apostles, but they were certainly not. Pseudapostolos. It's, uh, it's probably, uh, a, it's, many believe that Paul coined this term. It's, it's not, it doesn't appear before this, and it's, it just shows up right here in the New Testament for the first time. Uh, this word, it, translated deceitful, the word translated, excuse me, deceitful is another Greek word that is used only here as well in the New Testament. It's, um, 
It's the bait and hook, deceitful. If you only give me $33 for shipping, I'll send you this grandfather clock. I'm still waiting on it. That was in 1985. I think it got lost. That was a bait and switch. That's what these false apostles were doing. They were, they were presuming one thing, but giving another. And people being polite will often not do what they ought to do and call that stuff out. And some of that is what was happening here in the, in the, the New Testament world, especially in Corinth, in Corinth. So this word has the idea of a decoy. These derelicts were not only teaching error, but they were doing it in such a way that it baited people. It baited them in, gave them a promise, and then left them destitute of the truth. Unfortunately, the less discerning would not realize what was being done. So the word disguising, (laughs) to change the figure of, um, and you see it all the time on the internet now. I mean, with, with Photoshop and some of the even more sophisticated tools, they can make things look like they aren't. And it used to be that a picture was worth a thousand words. Not anymore. We need a new saying. I haven't got it. I haven't figured it out, but we need a new saying because you can make things look like they are real and they're not. That's what these apostles were doing. They were disguising themselves as angels of light. These men were chameleons. They would come in. They would adapt themselves to the culture of the local church. They would ingratiate themselves to those they found who were in leadership. And then baiting and switching their teaching so that many would miss the change and not realize that false doctrine was being distributed. Some of the marks. So now I want to go through some of the marks of a false apostle. And that's probably how we'll finish up. These men, were, they will deny the identity and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's number one. There will be some deviation. There may be some deviation from the proper biblical teaching, but, but the final issue will be that they will deny the Lord Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he has come in the flesh, and that he is the Son of God. And they will deny that he is the second person of the Trinity. They will add to or take away from Christ's finished work on the cross. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now is already in the world. They will add to or take from. They will say, you need more, you need Jesus plus, or or Jesus is not who he says he was. Now, they won't teach it like that. Well, he was a, he was a great teacher. No, he wasn't. If he claimed to be God in the flesh, and he wasn't, he was a demon. And he wasn't. He was the son of God. He was who he said he was. He, they'll, they'll add to or they'll take away. Number two, they will be motivated by greed, lust, power, and fame. Maybe not in that order. The fruit of their lives will be wickedness. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 8. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Four, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness. There's the bait. Although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Call them out. 
walk away. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith. Now, the sad thing is, the hard thing to deal with here is, is there are many in the church who are walking down the road in some ways of not accepting the sufficiency and truth of Scripture. And we've talked about this before. Actually, we had a, a seminar on it. If you start denying Genesis chapter 1, why not deny the rest of it? Why would we have to hold to the rest of it? If I get to make the decision that it doesn't mean God created on day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, and he rested on the seventh day, and the days were days, if I get to make that decision, why don't I get to make the decision about anything else in there that I don't like? And that's what happens. Once you set yourself up as the arbiter of biblical truth, you have become one of these bait-and-switch men, one of these deceitful false apostles. And it's, I, it's sad to say and I, 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 that there are those who are in the church. Well, you know, Genesis wasn't supposed to teach science. <laughs> Whether it was or it wasn't, it's true. It's that simple. It's true. And so once you start denying those things, it will only lead to all the false religions we have and the denials of the power and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they're motivated by greed. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. And the fruits display to the world eventually the character qualities that are listed in 2 Timothy. Arrogance, braggers revilers, disobedience, unwilling to accept authority, haters of good, treacherous. That's, that's quite a list. That's an excellent list to be reminded of. Number three, and I have already kind of gone into this. So number one is they will deny the identity and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, and there's no, there's no holiness to this order, by the way. It's just what I came up with. They will be motivated by greed, lust, power, and fame, and the fruit of their lives will be wickedness. Number three, they will deny the Bible as the inspired and infallible word of God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be inspired? The light bulb goes on over my head, and and I, I understand what the word obsequious means all of a sudden. Inspired in the classical biblical term is only of used of those whom the Holy Spirit used to pen the New Testament and the Old Testament. We would use illuminated, but inspired means that these are the very words that God spoke, that the very ideas and the very words that God gave to the men who wrote the scripture. It's infallible. It's never wrong. If we think it's wrong, we are wrong. Now, I know you all know this, 
but apparently this is on the internet now, and there's a lot of people out there who, who have got the scripture wrong. It is never wrong. It is internally consistent, and it is inspired. All scripture, 2 Timothy three sixteen says, is inspired by God and is just sitting there to be used as a very beautiful bookend. <laughs> Makes a nice bookend. It's pretty heavy. It's leather covered. It'll hold a whole bunch of other books. No, it says it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That's what the word of God is to be used for. It's to be used for teaching so that everyone who has not enough understanding can be given that understanding. And there are no special people who have some sort of an extra handle on the word of God, other than those, I would say there are those who study it harder and are able to impart to us understanding. But God doesn't have any favorites. He doesn't have any special ones. The Gnostics thought that that's how it was, that certain people had greater enlightenment than others. That is not true. Anyone who takes the time to spend the, to spend, to spend his time or her time studying the word of God will be graciously compensated by God with understanding, with blessing, with reproof, with correction, with instruction, and with training in righteousness. Yes. Well, there really isn't any, any okay, the question was, well, how do you deal with people who say that scripture was written by men? The correct answer is, but it was inspired by God. They don't believe that, and they get to do that. This is America. They get to believe stupid things. Um, I don't, I, Peter, there's a number of comparisons that can be made and, and, and I, I can, we can walk down that road, the scientific comparisons, the number of manuscripts, the fact that the Tacitus, it depends on a manuscript from the, uh, the, the year 1000 and it's got nine copies and the new Testament has 18,000 or however many we can use all those scientific, uh, explanations. And, and those are good. And, and, and it's a good idea to look into them. I don't have time to retail them all this morning. But, but I know this is going to sound, this is one of those weird things. It's like, why do we have to obey you, Dad? Because I said so. God has said his word is inspired. And those people who are the elect will come to their senses by the work of the Holy Spirit. Those people who are not which we don't know who they are, and we need to be preaching this to everyone. Don't misunderstand me. <laughs> Nobody has an E painted on their back. And if they did, it probably means evil. I didn't say that. <laughs> Cut that out, Cordell. You're on the internet now. That's, this is awful. We can go through the litany, the fact that there are, are multiple tens of thousands of, of papyri and, and uh, documents and, and copies that go way back into great antiquity that are, are very well attested to be the accurate words that have come down through, uh, to us from, his, from history. But when it's all said and done, this is a matter of faith. This is a matter of faith. This is a matter of believing that when, when, when you see the, that 300, was it 316 prophecies came true? In Christ, is it 300? It's somewhere around 300. That came literally true in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that were predicted. That the other prophecies that are predicted in the Old Testament happened exactly as they were predicted. Nobody else has that kind of a track record. Nostradamus is like 40% or 30%. Peter. 
you can, you, we can all rely on the Holy Spirit. Yes, you can say that. That's a reasonable statement. That's a biblical statement, whether it's reasonable or not. And those are good observations and kind of what I was alluding to, that in the end, it's a matter of faith. And it's a matter of the Holy Spirit working on the individuals. You present the gospel. You believe the gospel. You live the gospel. And the Holy Spirit will do the work in the lives of unbelievers. Those that he has chosen will be regenerated. Those he has not will not. We don't know who they are. So the, the scripture is to be given out equally liberally wherever we can. And uh, again, as, as Mike's pointed out, you can feed all of these documented informational bits and, bits and pieces of scientific fact, but the end result is, is the person interested in trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for his eternal salvation? Does he realize that there's a hell? Does he realize that at the end he will be judged and he will be cast either into a lake of fire or he will be going to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and the Holy Spirit and all the other believers for eternity? That's what the scripture says. And, and it's, been around for, it's been around long enough. <laughs> we have had this long enough. Now, amazingly, there's a lot of people today who, who don't know anything about the Bible. I'm always surprised. Uh, matter of fact, when I hear someone say that, I wonder, are they being straight up with me? I mean, this is the, where, yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, it's like the two strangers walking down the, the Emmaus, walking down the road of Emmaus with Jesus. What about this? Where have you been living under a rock? <laughs> yeah. So the word is, the word is, so, so let me just go through the rest of these. For the word of God, God says, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing so as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then Second Peter 1. And here's a good one for those folks. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I wish I had a magic statement you could say to these people who challenge the authenticity and the inspiration of the Bible, but there isn't one. Oh, yes, there is. It's the gospel. You give them the gospel. You just keep telling them the truth. And the truth will beat into their heart as God determines. And it will spread all of those lies apart and make its way like a laser beam to where it needs to be if they are one of his, if they are one of his sheep. And it's a glorious thing to see. And the ones who have decided not to believe and will not believe, you can be compassionate and do the best you can. We don't know who those are. But we do know that if we preach the gospel, it will not return void. It will, it will turn those who are of his, of his sheep. The last thing of the last, the last point, there's a whole bunch. I, I thought about like 20 points of false apostles. I, I boiled it down to four because people are trying to get me to write shorter stuff. They will claim their own authority and refuse to be subject to spiritual authorities. They will often take on special titles such as bishop, Apostle, Father, or others. And I could, I could give you numbers of those. Oh, there's the next slide. That's a good one. It's in invisible. It's in digital secret ink. 
Anybody can read that? <laughs> they will claim their own authority and they'll take on names for themselves. They'll claim to be apostles. We have that today, the New Apostolic Reformation and others that, that need to be. I'm, I'm trying to think, was it, was it the Moonies? Did he, was it Sun Young Moon? I think he wanted to be called Father. That was his preferred title. <laughs> We've got that now, preferred pronouns. We've, that's been with us a long time. They'll claim their own authority. No one has any authority lest it was given to them by God. No one. And anybody who is teaching in a bona fide church of God will understand that they are under, first, the authority of God through the scripture, through the council of elders, and through the body of believers who are Bereans. All of us are subject to the word of God. We're under the authority of the word of God. And anybody who thinks that they are outside of that authority is a false apostle. They're a false teacher. They're not someone that you can trust. And this is what Paul was trying to communicate. And that's why when he, he walked, walked away, when he, he changed his tenor and stopped using irony and sarcasm for the next three verses for 13, 14, and 15, he says, these men are false apostles. He made up a new word. It looks like a brand new word to describe these people. They are deceitful. They are, what was his other word? They're disguising themselves. They'll, they'll try to make themselves look like something that they aren't. And we see that all the time. They'll make claims that they need this or they need that in order to do their job efficiently and effectively. Here's what they need. Here's what they need. Um, now, it's nice to be able to drive to and from, but push comes to shove. If, if your vehicle broke down and you're not a false apostle, you're a true teacher, a teacher, a, a true servant of God, you'll walk. You'll figure out a way to get there. Um, I'm getting carried away off into some of what's going on today. I, I'm still thinking about that interview that was done of Kenneth Copeland when he defended his fifth jet. What's terribly sad is the people that are contributing to that. They're, they're, they're people that are being, they've been deceived, they've been lied to, and they've been used, and they are continuing to be used. Pray for them. Pray for them. This, it's a sad situation. There, and he's not the only one. There are plenty of them. Oh, yeah. It, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another thing. Okay, let's not, let's not drop that. If there needs to be added authority to the Bible, well, the Bible has, is good, but, but you need to hear this from me too. False apostle, false apostle. We only need, we, we, we need to be able to interpret and understand it, but the scripture is the final authority, not anything that some man adds. And that's why... Um, yeah, you talked about the Catholic Church, unfortunately. When the Pope speaks ex-cathedral, I don't know what they're doing with this guy, Francis. I mean, he's such a loose cannon. It's unreal. I mean, I'm listening to, I, I listen to some podcasts that are done by good, solid conservatives, but they happen to be Catholics, and they, they're just going, they're pulling their hair out. What are you? Well, he's, that's not teaching from ex-cathedral. That's just his opinion. How do you know? How do you know it's just his opinion? Did he tell you it was just his opinion? If, if he's supposed to have an added authority to the scripture, do you get to make that decision too, O Catholic? Be really careful. It's very comforting. 
to me to know that every authority I need is, is bound right in the word of God. Everything I need. God said, I will give, he gave to us a finished product that we, can, that we can look to and we can trust and we can be faithful to. And I'm grateful for that. So, those of our friends who will not accept the Bible, what you need to be is like a very, very well-oiled broken clock and tell them the gospel again. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.